completely honest, I know this is one. Uh, there is a reason why churches uh, all across the country, uh, probably world, uh, on these particular Sundays uh, have uh, what we did, whether it be combining services, children, uh, a little bit limited uh, child care. Uh, and then the, the running joke on like weird Christian Twitter is that this is the Sunday that all the youth pastors preach. But we believe more highly in our youth pastor, okay? So he's actually getting next week the bigger Sunday, uh, and I'm teaching this week. Uh, in fact, uh, we're excited to be able to uh, start a new series, uh, kind of mini-series next week. Um, as we finished up our uh, Christmas questioning Christmas series, uh, we're going to be uh, spending uh, three weeks on the topic of hospitality. And so uh, Connor's going to be teaching on what biblical hospitality is, what that looked like in Jesus's life. Uh, and then those uh, following two weeks after, I'm going to be talking about what hospitality looks like as a church and then what that looks like and means for a Christian in your home. Uh, then we will be uh, starting in the book of Genesis and we're going to be tracing the gospel in the book of Genesis. So really excited about that. And I just saw a teenager that was excited about that. So that excites me even more. Uh, but today we're going to have a, a standalone uh, sermon uh, on rhythms of grace. If you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be uh, um, talking about a couple different things uh, with this message. Uh, talking about rhythms, the gospel, and grace. Uh, first off, when it comes to rhythms, I don't know about you, but when I think of that word, the first thing I think about is music. Um, I love music, yet have no rhythm, okay? And even though it's the first thing I think of, uh, although I mentioned it, uh, from a few weeks ago when our kids did an amazing job singing and dancing. And uh, as I had joked with you all that uh, this is uh, the performance that we will see, uh, which kids will have a rhythm and which kids will not, I was always in the category of not, okay? Uh, one who loved music from an early age in middle school, tried to learn how to play drums, tried to play the guitar, just any instrument because I loved music so much and I realized not only can I not do two things at once, but I have no rhythm. I am the one that's secretly praying and starting to sweat when the worship leader's like, clap along, and I'm like, Okay, no rhythm, okay? Like distracting to others. Uh, but uh, rhythm is important. Uh, as we talk about not only in music, which you need, but also in life. In fact, uh, Mike Cosper, the, many of you guys have heard that name as of lately because he was the creator of the popular podcast over this year, The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Uh, but I knew him from way before that podcast from my time in Louisville, Kentucky, as he was a former worship pastor of a church there um, called Sojourn and a, still a longtime current member there. And he actually wrote a book on worship and he talked a little bit about this with rhythm. In fact, he said, quote unquote, if you're a musician like me, which I am not, you get the necessity of repetition. Uh, he said, I spent four years pursuing a piano performance degree, practicing at times up to 10 hours a day. And my goal was to be proficient enough at the end of college to play anything I wanted to, even though it wasn't a very God-glorifying goal, but it was clear and simple. He said, I immersed myself daily in the mechanics of technique and scales, etc., and gave dogged attention to the details of dynamics, tempo, pedaling, and style. And in the end, he said, it set me free to actually make music. It wasn't always simply reproducing notes on a page, but his practice, his routine, and his rhythm helped me stretch out beyond printed music to create melodies, harmonies, and rhythms on my own. 
And he said they were rooted in the knowledge of music that he had to gain in the regular practice and routine of such things. You see, when I think of the word rhythm, I think of it a little bit different, although similar, than discipline. And we all know discipline is important. I mean, 1 Timothy, Apostle Paul tells not only Timothy but us that we are to practice, we are to have self-control for the purpose and toward godliness. We know discipline is important, but when you think of rhythm, you don't think of those extreme stops and starts that self-control and discipline kind of leads to. And although there are times we need that, but when you think of rhythm, you think of it a little bit more free-flowing. And we need that in our life, especially concerning the gospel and the grace that it gives and we need to receive and be reminded of. In fact, the last part of that Mike Cosper quote from his book on worship said was this, Rhythms of grace is largely an apologetic for repetition but its effects and ends are far more transcendent than learning how to improvise on the piano or play music. Instead, it teaches us how to live before a holy and gracious God in light of the gospel and how our regular and routine meetings can serve that end. I mean, you think about Jesus and his discipline and rhythms in life. Although at times being very busy, performing miracles, teaching that left people in awe, but then disciplining himself and having a life rhythm and routine of getting away from everything to be alone with his heavenly father in prayer, to be with a select few, to intentionally teach and disciple. He regularly did this in the Gospels. And sometimes we don't realize what is being formed in our life through such routine and rhythms. In fact, sometimes we are being deformed by certain rhythms and routine. Not going off on a rabbit trail with this, but anything and everything from technology to sinful habits to other time wasters in our life. Listen, they form us, and at times they deform us in comparison to what God created us for. We are to start and to practice certain rhythms and routines in our life to glorify the Lord, but as we talk about here today, that will help us remember the gospel Back 1 Corinthians 15, 3, this passage was probably my favorite sermon of all the 1 Corinthians sermon series where the Apostle Paul wrote to the church and to us, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. What was that? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Of first importance the gospel message of Jesus Christ. How is that a rhythm? Hearing that message, believing that message in 
our life. Even look at our website, and it's the first core value under the first part of our mission that you see in the banner when walking out glorifying God. It says, as a church, we will be centered around the gospel because the gospel, it says, shapes and directs all of our beliefs and actions. Do you see how that forms us? And of course, it is tough to talk about the gospel of Jesus without relating it to God's grace. Otherwise, we drift toward routines, toward moralism and Pharisaic righteousness. When you hear and talk about the gospel, when it is a regular routine of listening to it, believing it, you can't but help to think also of God's grace. And of course, God's grace, meaning that we are undeserving of the gifts that the gospel brings in salvation, just like the Apostle Paul had once said, I am the least unworthy. I persecuted the church. I do not deserve this, but God gives me salvation, new life, a relationship with him through the gospel anyways, but we also cannot earn it. That's why Paul said in Philippians 3, although circumcised on the eighth day, although he was of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, to zeal and passion, a persecutor, as to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. And after all the things that he did, he recognized, I cannot receive salvation, cannot receive a good standing with the Lord. And we know, sadly, much of religion teaches that. It's why, it, it's, why it's what makes the gospel unique, what makes it make sense to us. And it makes grace that much more beautiful. A gift freed from the impossible pressure and standards of legalism, the law, and morality outside of Jesus. Now, getting to our text, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. I want you to see the importance of grace. And then share with you guys a couple quick points on how we are to make this a regular rhythm and routine of our life. But first, seeing the importance and need for grace being a rhythm of our life that we only receive in the gospel. Matthew chapter 11, starting off with verse 25, for quick context, this is right after Jesus called out people and cities that he did great miraculous works in, and they still did not repent. In fact, these cities were kind of known, and you saw much religious activity that was put on them. And as they depended on that religion in comparison to the message that Jesus was preaching and teaching, freeing them through life in him and the gospel, and where they did not repent still, Jesus says this, and many of you guys know this, but I want you to listen and ask yourself, do I have a habit and rhythm and routine of believing this? Jesus said this, verse 25, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, 
and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Again, remember that in the context of him preaching and teaching and telling these cities and these people of religion to repent, and they did not do it. Verse 28, passage you guys are all familiar with, and I'm praying that out of God's grace will really, really seep into your hearts and change some of your actions out of this day. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to read those last few passages in a different version. This isn't a version of the Bible that we're going to be regularly preaching from, nor when I go through this text verse by verse. Actually, in some cases, word for word, I'm not going to be going through this version. But I do want to hear, I want you to hear what Eugene Peterson, how he translated this, not to be literal scripture, but how he translated these last few verses in relation to us feeling the freedom of that burden. He says, Eugene Peterson, in the message version of this scripture, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Again, in context, this is coming from him, Jesus, seeing that they are not repenting of their moralism and religion for him. He says, Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Again, I'm not going to preach from that text, but Eugene Peterson does remind us of the grace that we not only receive from Jesus, but how we need to be continually learning it and being formed by it. So starting with verse 28, I want to ask you, are you in labor and heavy laden? When I ask, are you in labor? I'm assuming most women in our church are these days um, going toward that. But when I say labor, I'm talking about are you feeling burdened by the work? All who labor and are heavy laden. Just think about the overwhelming feeling we feel from our work. Not just like your vocation. I'm talking about your service. I'm talking about the God-given good roles and responsibilities you may have as husband, as wives, as a father, as a mother, even as a friend. And again, servant of the church. Think about all the ways that we may feel heavy laden because of our own life rhythm and routines, but also because of religion. Again, the context before verse 25 in the ESV study Bible, 
It says, all who labor and are heavy laden refers in the immediate context to those oppressed by the burden of religious legalism imposed on people by scribes and Pharisees. You know, I can't but help to think, although this person had no idea I was going to be preaching on this topic this past this, this Sunday today, but I received an email just a few days ago after we, uh, when, when we have like Christmas Eve or, or Easter or a couple big events a year, we'll send out a big email to people that have visited our church and people that are part of our church, just reminding them and inviting them to such services. And I received one email back from somebody that had visited a while ago. And they started off by the person saying that I was actually starting this email asking to be unsubscribed from this email chain, but instead I wanted to use it as an opportunity to ask you a few questions. And this person had admitted and said that they're going through a process in their life of what is popular terminology today, deconstructing from what they grew up and they said in a high, heavy word they specifically used, burdensome religious environment. And basically the email was asking questions and answers for what they felt like was very burdensome religion that they'd grown up in. And how can you believe this? And I couldn't but help to, when reading that email a few days ago, think about Jesus' words right here. All who labor and are heavy laden, come to me. Church, I want to ask you, do you go to Jesus when you're feeling that weight? Do you go to him? Do you receive the invitation? Because that is a question. What are the certain rhythm and habits that you have to help you come to Jesus? What are the things that are already in your life instead of because you're so weighed down, almost at the bottom of everything just pressing and crushing you, you have to go to Jesus. But instead of getting to that point, what are the things that are set up in your life daily, weekly, monthly, maybe even yearly rhythms so that you can go to Jesus to prevent you from being and carrying such a burden. As he says, come to me for what? I will give you rest. Because we must remember that it is only Jesus that can free us and give us that rest. There is nothing else on this earth that's going to release that. It's Jesus that will give you rest as you come to him. All who labor and are heavy laden, come to me, I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you. Yoke at this time was often when they heard that, they would think of the wooden frame that would join two animals together. Usually it would be oxen and they would pull heavy loads. And this was a metaphor for a person's submission to another. In fact, it was a common metaphor at this time when it came to the law and Judaism. 
In fact, the Pharisaic interpretation of the law with its extensive list of commands and, and prescriptions, it had become a crushing burden upon the people because it was believed by the people to be of divine origin. And although the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees are adding on additional rules, laws, commands that wasn't even even from God. And that's why when he says, take my yoke upon you, my yoke of discipleship, of a rhythm of grace that he's starting to explain here, that on the other hand, will bring rest. Not the burden, but rest through following him. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, Learn from me. And church, this is where we are being formed. Are we learning from Jesus? His grace, the gospel. Or are you learning and being formed by something else from the world? We are all learning something. We're all learning from some type of sermon and some type of worldview. And your rhythms, whether it be set up by everything that's on your phone or for entertainment or for other, maybe even good things, they are shaping you, whether it be for better or worse. Are you learning from Jesus? He says, learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. I love this one line. I know the number one Christian selling book of last year was on this exact term right here. We had given it away about seven, eight months ago um, by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. He actually talks in the first chapter, although the whole book is set up a little bit with this, but in the first chapter, he says a few things just about this one line alone. In fact, he starts off saying how his dad early on had pointed out to him something that Charles Spurgeon said, that in the four gospel accounts given to us in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, out of 89 chapters of biblical texts, there's only one place, one place of all the four gospels that Jesus tells us about his very own heart. And only one place of all the scriptures and specifically in the gospels that as Dane Ortland had said, perhaps the most wonderful words ever uttered by human lips where Jesus himself talks about and opens up about his very own heart. And what does he say? For I am gentle and lowly in heart that you will find rest for your souls in me. I am gentle and lowly in heart. And remember, the heart is a matter of life. It's what makes us the human being each of us is. It's the heart that drives all that we do, and it is who we are. It's why, although some kind of people, pastors and Christians will get upset about asking Jesus into your heart. And I know even kids get a little bit confused about that. Is he like here? Is he, where else is he? It has to be specifically in your heart. How does he get in there? 
Again, when you think of it as representing all in our life, that out of that, it drives our desires and our actions, it not only makes sense, but listen, it's quite intriguing that Jesus says that of all things in this context, when you're feeling the burden of work, of religion, and maybe even of sin and unhealthy things forming you and shaping you. And he says, come to me, I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That lowly is humility. You will find rest for your souls. And then look at verse 30. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You have freedom when you come to me. You will be able to bear and show fruit and therefore work overflowing from Jesus's acceptance and love. And listen, church, you, when finding a rhythm of this, believing these words, hearing the gospel, and that grace that it gives. When you find a rhythm of this through the grace only found in Jesus, through what he did in the gospel, you will live in this way. And so I ask, do you have a continuous flow of this in your life? Because we need to. We need to. In fact, three specific areas where we need rhythms of grace in the gospel to receive what Jesus specifically said in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. First, in the rhythms that we set up in church. James K.A. Smith, in his book about habits and worship, said this, the church, the body of Christ, is the place where God invites us to renew our loves reorient our desires and retrain our appetites. Indeed, isn't the church where we are nourished by the word, where we eat the word and receive the bread of life? In church, it should be set up to help us, to form us in God's grace and to be reminded of the gospel and how it's in the gospel that brings us that grace. It's why we set up certain songs intentionally picked out for certain reasons to do this. Yes, it's like a mixture of a whole bunch of different dynamics to get to the point of putting on a service and picking out different songs, what the band can be able to play, what's familiar, because we know part of worship is you singing together. And so songs that you guys know to sing together, but also it's intentional in what you are singing and the content and doctrine. What you sing matters and you're formed by it in church. Two sermons that for many reasons are planned, picked out, sometimes years in advance, certain series that we know will form you, help reorient you to the belief and reminder of the grace that's given in the gospel and certain things that's going on, whether in our church life, whether it be in the world, culture. And again, what should be formed in scripture 
for every one of us as Christians to liturgy. Um, I know that word, some of you guys hear liturgy and you think of like maybe growing up in certain churches where you had to sit up, I mean sit up, sit down, stand up, constantly back and forth and repetition that way. But that shouldn't be a scary word to you. In fact, I don't know if you've noticed this, but as we've added more scriptural and liturgical readings in our church, they are there intentionally so that you can be formed and remember the gospel of Jesus Christ and grace. In fact, you see it on the screen in front of you, but this is coming from Mike Cosper's book where there's four things we want to make sure you guys know and, and see. Number one, adoration. Uh, when it comes to us, for, it's not on the screen, is it? It's not going to be on the screen, is it, too? Okay, it is? Okay, never mind, it is. I just didn't see it right there. So you see the first one talking about a call to worship, reminding us that God created us and that we are to adore Him in the beginning of our services. Then, as Matt had read a little bit earlier, a confession of sin, knowing that in the gospel, we must be reminded that we are sinners because of the fall, and we are to continually confess that sin, and that Jesus gives great grace and assurance because of that sin. That He gives peace, as you see here, thanksgiving, petition based off that. And then often we end services with some type of benediction where it's a charge, a reminder of the blessing, and that we are united in this. That liturgy is not just picked out so you can be able to hear additional scripture on top of more scripture. It is form, it is for the formation of us as a church, reminding us of his grace that comes through the gospel. In fact, Mike Cosper in that book on worship said this again, gathering for worship is a life-shaping moment in a congregation's week. And our task as pastors, as worship leaders, is to seize that opportunity for an all-out assault on their hearts. As servants of God, we prepare people for death and we prepare them for eternity. And most people think they're just going to church. It's not. It is a formation and a rhythm reminding us of the grace that God gives us and the gospel and our need for it. There's rhythms, should be intentional rhythms in our corporate worship gathering. There's also needed intentional rhythms of grace in your family life. Again, going back to James K.A. Smith and his book on habits and worship. He said, spiritual formation in Christ requires a lot of repetition precisely because we build up so many disordered habits over a lifetime. This is also why the spiritual formation of children is one of the most significant callings of the body of Christ. There should be habits, rhythms that you are teaching your kids and that as a church, we're helping you teach your kids of the gospel and grace and Jesus Christ. It's why when we kind of shared and we'll go back to often the family discipleship plan, how there are certain rhythms and habits from the first phase of modeling that to your kids and to taking advantage of moments with them. To the second phase 
of meetings, discipleship meetings with them, and celebrating certain milestones, whether it be accepting Christ, whether it be baptism, whether it be certain moments and times, again, in their life that you want to make milestones out of, to the third phase, which is mission. Rhythm's teaching them that we don't just keep this inside, but we go out and God sent us out on mission to share this with others. That's all rhythm that, again, we encourage, want to help you families not only practice in your homes, but again, continue to form and teach your kids. And listen, church, I can't but help to think of Elise Fitzpatrick's words in her great book called Give Them Grace, Dazzling Your Kids with the Love of Jesus. Talking about the difference between grace within a home and sometimes moralism in a home. In fact, she brought up in that book and asked, what would things look like if Satan really took control of a city? She had mentioned that over half a century ago, a Presbyterian minister, Donald Gray Barnhouse, offered this scenario in his weekly sermon that was broadcast nationwide on CBS radio and how it kind of shook the people that listened to it. Barnhouse speculated that if Satan took over the city where he pastored, Philadelphia, he said this is what it would look like if Satan took over the city. He said all of the bars would be closed. He said pornography would be banished. He said the streets would be filled with tiny pedestrians who smiled at each other. There would be no swearing. Children would say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And the churches would be full every single Sunday where Jesus Christ is not preached. And he said this is scary mainly because what Barnhouse describes is what most of us want for our children. Jesus or no Jesus, we just want them to obey, to be polite, to not curse and look at bad things, to get good jobs, marry a nice person, and to not get caught up in the, real, in the really bad stuff of the world. And he says, it may come as a surprise to you, but God wants much more for your children, and you should too, because God wants them to get the gospel. And this means that parents are responsible to teach them about the drastic, uncontrollable nature of amazing grace. And the biggest lie about grace that Satan wants Christian parents to buy is the idea that grace is dangerous and therefore needs to be kept in check. Because moralism without Jesus in the gospel is more sinful, sad, and scary than great grace that's given through Jesus. And this includes the formation of everything from not only everything with Jesus, but again, the certain habits and valuing church as it's being de deconstructed in the culture before us. There needs to be rhythms of grace in the gospel in our homes. And last of all, rhythms of grace in our own lives individually. Everything from the personal devotions that you do, not as a checklist, although it's okay and will happen at times, and you don't have to beat yourself up too, uh, uh, like too hard when devotions feels like it's just that checklist. It's important for you to continue to keep, but knowing this is done because I wanna spend time with my Heavenly Father because it is literally His Word that feeds me, that nourishes me, 
I should cherish. There should be rhythms of grace in our work and Sabbath. Good rhythms of work as we're called and commanded to work like God did, but at the same time rest as our own God took time to Sabbath. That we're not to fall into the habit of nothing but producing and thinking our identity is wrapped up in our work or our job or in other people that need us because that is the opposite of the rhythm of grace, that we Sabbath, that we moderate and fast from technology. Again, phones and media are forming us and deforming us in ways that we don't even know the true consequences from it still. Technology is forming and deforming in certain ways that we need to moderate and even fast and Sabbath from certain things so that we do not feel so heavy burden. There's a reason why every single tech giant does not allow their kids in the number one time that they are being formed to have certain technologies and social media that they created until high school. There's a reason. Again, that's not saying as in like we have and everything, but are you helping in moderation of these certain things, forming these certain things? This comes to preaching the gospel to yourself. Is it a regular rhythm in your life that the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins, rose again eternally triumphant over all of his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy? Do you have certain habits and routines and rhythms that helps remind you of that message? Whether it be memorizing scripture concerning the gospel, praying the gospel to yourself, singing the gospel, reviewing how it has changed you and studying it. Because to conclude, I'll end with one last quote from Mike Cosper's book on worship. The gospel should be a rhythm of life, forming our identity as a gospel-shaped people. It's a gospel rhythm that reminds us of our dependence in Christ's sufficiency. It's a rhythm of grace spurring us to live in the life-giving outpouring of love and mercy from the God of the universe. Church, as you start the new year, do you have rhythms of grace in your life? Because I promise you, as a church, we're gonna do our best to continue and to increase when it comes to church services, to help you with your family. But you have to also choose to do it yourself individually, to be a part of that with the church and especially with your family as well. And remember, remember Jesus's words. It's that rhythm of grace that will give you rest. Learn from him for he is gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In comparison to moralism, in comparison to overworking, in comparison to identity being received in other things, even good things, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Form and set yourself up in rhythm to be reminded.
minded and receive that. Let's pray. Jesus, again, I thank you so much for your words. What a gift it is to have the scriptures so that we can be able to hear what you said, not only to the disciples, but say to us today, to give us such grace and freedom. I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that as a church, but then also as families and individuals, we will walk out of service today talking to you and intentionally thinking about our routines and rhythms in life and to be able to form them and set them up in certain ways that we are reminded of the gospel and that we receive your grace so that we can experience your words, your truth, that you will give rest to our souls. That you want us to come to you for your humble and gentle at heart and want to free us from the certain things that are deforming us in this world. I pray, Lord, that we will set up disciplines of absence, abstaining from certain things so that we can trust in you and spend time with you, but then also increasing and finding time again to receive in these things. And God, I know that's going to look different for every single teenager here, for every parent here, for every individual here, for every spouse. But I pray, Lord, that we spend time with you and you will lead us to certain rhythms of grace to help free, to help give life to us. We thank you, Lord, for your great grace and your great love that we sing about today. Continue to form us in this service today. We pray this in your name, Jesus.